G'day everyone. I'll pray. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, give you thanks for your word and we thank you for the opportunity that uh, many of us had to go away this weekend and uh, learn from it together and be encouraged by it together. And we pray that the same thing will happen now tonight, that as we look at your word together, it will challenge us, it will encourage us, and it will spur us on to keep following Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a while since uh, I was at school, but uh, one of my bad memories at school is uh, a memory I think most people have, uh, which is PE classes, where um, at the start of the lesson, the teacher would say, all right, we're going to have a game of soccer. And then they pick two captains, so you know, it's Sam and Alex, and then, uh, sorry, Alex just looked like, I was never the captain or something there, but I I don't want the job, you know, but anyway, um, anyway, and then it's like, you guys choose the teams, and one at a time, they'd go, and Sam would go, all right, well, I pick Anthony, and Alex go, and then poor Troy is left (laughs) at the end. And, and the problem was, it wasn't even a reflection on the fact that people didn't think you were any good at sport if you were left to the end. Uh, it was usually a popularity contest. The people didn't pick the people, they picked their friends. Do teachers still let that happen in schools? Any, does it still happen? It's terrible with that. Anyway, but the reason we hate it so much and the reason uh, that brings back horrible memories for you or even memories of last week if you're still at school um, uh, is we hate to be left out, don't we? Isn't that the reality? We hate to be left out. So many Hollywood movies are all based on that idea. I've become very familiar with the high school musical group of movies. I th- they all seem to be one movie. I can't spot the difference when my girls are watching a different one. But anyway, but every movie is on the same premise. There is a cool group and there are people they exclude and there are people who are left out. And we empathise with, with it because none of us wants to be the person who's left out. Well, in last week's passage, open up your Bibles, Ephesians 2, in last week's passage, we saw how we, all of us, are alienated from God. We're we're excluded from God. We are dead in our sin. But then you remember we saw those wonderful words at verse 4 of chapter 2, but God. We saw a change has happened. That is what we were, but God has done something about it. God has saved us. He has given us a new life in Christ Jesus. So we are no longer separated from God. We are united to Christ. And in fact, it even tells us we have a place in the heavens. We are citizens of heaven with Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 is just one of those incredible passages uh, that you just want to read over and over and over again. You remember a few weeks ago, back at the start of Ephesians, I said each chapter of Ephesians has memory verses you just want to learn. Well, Ephesians, you could learn all of Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Just verses 8 and 9, look at them again. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. You just want to know that off by heart, that is the the essence of the gospel. But if we just stop there, so if the book of Ephesians just sort of stopped at the end of that part there, you could just think it's about just about you and God and that's all that matters. And so, ah, well, I believe in Jesus, so I'm right with God, and that's great. And, and Troy's right with God, and each, each person is individually no longer alienated or excluded from God. And that's right, and that's true. But sadly, I think a lot of Christians have that sort of a narrow, individualistic view of Christianity. 
And you see that, I see that when I meet people out and about the place who tell me I'm a Christian. And they can even say, because Jesus died for my sins and I believe in Jesus, and yet they are not part of a church. They have this individualistic view of Christianity. But what our passage today shows us, the second half of the chapter, is that that is only part of the story. Yes, Jesus' death and resurrection is for you personally to restore your relationship with God. And so you need to trust in Christ. But God has a bigger plan than that. God doesn't just unite us each individually to him. He doesn't just sort of knock down the barriers between us individually and him in heaven. God creates vertical peace between us and God, but he also creates horizontal peace amongst the people of God you see God's great plan is not just to redeem you from your sin it is to create a new people his church and he wants you to be a part of that united to him but also united to one another and that's what this passage today turns to now it's going to take a bit of hard work to work through it uh, but please do the hard work with me because it's important for understanding what God desires for us uh, so you've got to come with me from what, through what can seem quite a theoretical discussion of Jews and Gentiles to get to the really important and practical end point, okay? Now, it's hard for us to fully understand the world of the New Testament. Uh, we're 2,000 years removed from it. But before Jesus came, there was a great division of humanity. Now, most people in the world weren't aware of this division, but anyone who came into contact with the Jews and the God of the Jews was aware of that division. What was the division? It was between Jew and Gentile. And, and Gentile is not like another race. Gentile is all the other races. So it doesn't matter if you're Roman, Greek, Australian, Chinese, Latvian, Slovenian, whatever, you are a Gentile if you're not a Jew. And the Jews were the people of God and everyone else was excluded. For a Gentile to come into the people of God, they had to become a Jew. They had to be circumcised if they were a man. They had to follow the laws. They had to become a Jew. Now, God had created that separation. The Jews didn't create it themselves. God had created that separation. He had chosen Israel and he'd given them the laws to be separate and holy. But sadly, all too often the Jews who were meant to be holy and separate so that they might be a blessing to the nations, we read that in Genesis 12 before, so that they might be a light to the nations, but sadly they just took the be separate as an end in and of itself. And so they had no desire that Gentiles would come and become Jews and join them as the promised people of God as hard as that was. They didn't desire that. Instead, they considered Gentiles to be lower forms of life. So you see that in the Gospels, don't you, where they refer to the Gentiles as, as the dogs, not worthy to eat the crumbs under the table. You see, instead of seeing themselves as the nation especially blessed by God in order to be a blessing to the other nations, all too often they saw themselves as the only nation to be blessed by God. And there were several great symbols of that separation. So the first was circumcision for male Jews. That said, this person is in and this person is out. That was not a public sign, of course. So you knew whether you were circumcised or not, but other people didn't. But then there were public signs. And the biggest public sign was, do you keep the laws? 
So the big thing that divided the Jews from the Gentiles was the food laws. So they couldn't eat with a Gentile because that food was unclean and they couldn't associate with a Gentile because they were ceremonially unclean. There are all these things about what you could wear and what you couldn't wear and what days you had to celebrate this and what days you had to celebrate that. So that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. But the big other one was the temple. See, if you went to Jerusalem, not that as much tourism happened as it does now, but if you went to Jerusalem as a Gentile in those days and you thought, you know what, I'd like to go in and just take a photo inside the temple, they would kill you. Because there was a big wall around the temple and they found the signs, in, you know, you can see them in museums, that says if you are a Gentile and you go in, you die. Because you had to be a Jew to go into the house of the Lord, to go into the temple. So you were excluded and all of these things said to a Gentile, wherever you were from, Roman or Greek or Persian or whatever, they said you are excluded. Excluded from God and excluded from the people of God. Now Paul is writing here in, in Ephesians predominantly to Gentile Christians, like I think most of us. Uh, so most of us, there might be one or two who come from a Jewish background, who are Jewish Christians, but most of us are Gentile Christians. Uh, and I haven't pointed it out in the sermon so far because it wasn't necessary to grasp the point of these passages. But you might have noticed how all through Ephesians 1 and 2 so far, just flick back through it, you might have noticed how Paul often talks about we and us and then you. Have you noticed that? You've noticed that in your gospel teams, you've been looking at it. So he says, we have these blessings and now you. And, and the point he's been making right through the book is the we is him and his Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. And he says, we've received the blessings of Christ first, but now you, Gentiles, have been included as well. And so now he really gets to expanding on that point. So come with me to verse 11. So it says, so then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without the Messiah excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world now he's saying to us remember how that was you in the past and we say well I can't remember because we live 2,000 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus but if Jesus had not come then that would, we, would be us. We Gentiles would have been uncircumcised, without God's saviour, foreigners to the promise, and that meant before Jesus we were excluded from God and we had no hope of benefiting from his promises. We were without hope. Now, in other parts of the New Testament, Paul makes the point that as a Jew, he wasn't in a much better position. He makes the point that even if he was circumcised, his heart was hard to God. Uh, but for a faithful Jew before Christ, like Abraham or David or Elijah, or even, you know, at the start of Luke's gospel, when you meet Simeon and Anna waiting at the temple for the Messiah to come, they were trusting in God's promises. They were in a better position than the Gentiles who had no hope and didn't know God. They were waiting for God's Messiah to come, but not us Gentiles. We had none of that. But now we come to the two words that are so important. Look at the start of verse 13, because just like in the first 10 verses of chapter 2, it's the same in these verses. Verse 13 says, but 
now. But now something has changed. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. That's just another one of those great verses, I think. That's another one to learn off by heart. You've got to get your full page of verses. You might as well just learn the whole book, actually. But anyway, what's his point? His point is through Jesus, the way to God has been opened up. So we who were excluded from God, we now know him as our father. We who had no hope, now have hope. And it's all through what? Look there, the blood of Jesus, where in his death he paid the price for our sin and opened up the way to God. But here's the thing, you know all that already, don't you? There was nothing new in what I've just said. Uh, It's different words, but it's really repeating the point of last week's passage, isn't it? Last week says you were dead in your sins, now you're alive in Christ. This week's passage says you were far away from God, now you're included. But, but it's sort of the same point, both through the death of Jesus. But here he's making an extra point, and this is the big point. Now, we have not just been brought near to God, we have been brought near to one another. Jesus' death does not just make peace between us and God as individuals, it also knocks down those things that separated us from the people of God. So come with me from verse 14. So it says, For he, Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. What's the wall he's talking about? What's the wall that divided them? He's talking about the wall around the temple. Now, a Gentile might have said, but hang on, Paul, they still won't let me into the temple in Jerusalem. There's still signs keeping me out. And if you read Acts, Paul actually gets in trouble for trying to take a Gentile in there. Now, that wall wasn't actually physically destroyed until 10 years later, in 70 AD, when the Romans came and knocked the whole thing down. But Paul would say, no, it has been destroyed because you don't have to go into a temple to meet God anymore. So Jews like me... And Gentiles like you, we can come together and meet with Jesus together wherever we like. You don't need a temple. The wall has been knocked down as long as you trust in Jesus. Now, what else divided Jew and Gentile before Jesus? The law did, the Old Testament law. We'll look at the end of verse 14. It says, in his, Jesus' flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace you see in his death Jesus has done away with the law so it doesn't matter what you eat anymore it doesn't matter whether you wash yourself in a ceremonial way anymore you can sit down a Jew and a Gentile who trust in Jesus can sit down together and nothing divides us anymore now we know from earlier in the year it's always dangerous when you refer to sermons earlier in the year and people look at you blankly but we know from earlier in the year when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount look at me with a few nods there just to encourage me in my preaching thanks Braden Uh, we know from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says God's law is still important and especially God's moral standards don't change God does not follow opinion polls on what is right and wrong let the hearer understand for current events but he says I have fulfilled the law you see in his death he paid the price for all our breaches of the law and all those things about being holy and separate Jesus says now I've fulfilled them so you don't have to worry about what you eat or drink 
what you have to do is trust in me all those rules about what days you can do what and what's ritually clean and unclean all those things that said you gentiles are not a part of us in his death jesus has done away with them all which brings us to the high point and that is in his death jesus was creating a new unified people of god who whatever our background are all reconciled to god through jesus so just look at these wonderful verses look from verse 16 it says he did this so that he might reconcile both to god in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it see there aren't two ways to god there's not one way for the jews by obeying the law and one way for the gentiles doing something else now there is one way to god whether you're a jew or a gentile whether you're chinese or persian whatever you are there is one way to god and that is through the cross through trusting in the death of jesus keep going verse 17 says when the messiah came he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away that's most of us we're a long way away but he also proclaimed it to those who were near that's the jews for through him we both have access by one spirit to the father you see now anyone can come to god any person on this earth can come to God on exactly the same footing as any other person by trusting in Jesus through the work of God's Spirit. This is the idea of verses like uh, Colossians 3, 11. Just take your outline, I've put them on there. Uh, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. It says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Or Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, it says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We know this, but we take it for granted. This is the most amazing thing, the most amazing miracle God has ever done. Well, it's up there with the resurrection, isn't it? You see, this is the church as we are meant to be. What the church is meant to be, is meant to be people coming together, whatever our background, bringing together people from every possible division, people who out there hate each other, bringing us together and binding us together because of our common faith in Jesus. Now, be careful not to make God say what he isn't saying here. So first thing he's not saying, he's not saying that all those distinctions are irrelevant you see, God does not want uniformity in his church. That's the mistake Christians often make, which is you're all welcome to come in and then you've got to take on our culture and be just like us. Now, the richness of the church is that it's people from different cultures who are different coming together because of their faith in Jesus. See, that's what our world is trying to do at the moment, to force everyone to get on by demanding that everyone be exactly the same as one another. So the world is trying to dissolve any differences. There is no male or female, just choose whatever you want to be. There, there, there is no, you Muslims over there, actually, you don't understand it, but you actually believe the same thing as you Christians over there. Just get on, be the same. That's what our world's trying to do and it doesn't work. You can't force people together by pretending that we're not different. But no, the church is far more miraculous than that. God says, you are still different. All those things that divide humanity still exist whether race gender personality whatever but it says you come together despite all your differences and even rejoice in those differences 
because you are equal before God. And you say, the world might say, you're a Jew and I'm a Gentile, so we should be fighting. But we say, no, no, we love each other because Jesus tore down the wall. Or the world might say, you're Lebanese and you're Israeli or you're Syrian or whatever. But the Christian says, no, but we get on because we have more in common in Christ Jesus. You are a brother in Christ, so that really doesn't matter. The other mistake you can fall into is thinking this is sort of John Lennon, universal brotherhood of man rubbish. This is not saying God accepts everyone and it doesn't matter what they believe or how they live. This new people God has created is not every person on earth. When it says God has created one new humanity, it's not with every person on earth. He's talking about one new humanity who is his new people, the church. See, this new people that God has created is only made up of people who recognize our sin and trust in Jesus. So sometimes reluctantly, we will turn people away from God's people. And sometimes reluctantly, we will see people turn themselves away from God's people, but it will never be because they're French and we're English or, you know, or because they're whatever. It's because they don't want to trust in Jesus or because they don't want to be one of his children listening to his word. But what this does mean is that we offer the gospel to all people. It's not just for people like me. And what it does mean is we welcome anyone who comes to trust in Jesus. We welcome anyone, even if we would normally have nothing in common. This is why we should hate cliques or favourites in the church. They'll always exist because we live this side of glory and we're still marred by sin. People will always have closer friendships with some over others. But we should never be happy with the idea that some people are in and some people are out in the people of God. We should never be satisfied with that. This is why I'm not a great fan of single ethnic group churches, you know, like a Chinese church or a, uh, a Greek church or, or an Anglo church for that matter. Uh, they might have a temporary place in evangelism as a way of reaching people of a particular culture or there might be a language barrier that means they're necessary. But as they go on, it seems to me that idea that a church is defined by its ethnicity doesn't seem to understand what God wants for his church. God wants his church to be made up of people from every nation, tribe and tongue, Jew and Gentile together. See, the measure of the church is not how well we welcome the person who is just like us. The local soccer club welcomes people who are just like them. Any human society welcomes people who are just like them. The measure of the church is how well we welcome the person we would not normally have any reason to spend time without there. And when we do that, we are unlike any social club or interest group in the world. That is when we are the church of God. You might want to think some more in your gospel team this week about what else that means for us as the people of God. But I do want to give you a bit of homework to do tonight. I'm going to be watching you. No, I'm not. <laughs> though we have video camera. Anyway, no. Um, the homework is, before you leave tonight, I want you to search out someone you don't really know very well here in this building that's easy for Kingsley <laughs> but I want you to search out someone you don't don't go and talk to the person who you would talk to out there I want you to go and find someone you don't know as well and introduce yourself and talk with them about what it means to follow Jesus together so there you go that's your homework
I'm going to leave it with you. But I wanted to leave just a final bit of time now to look at these final four verses of our passage. Because here Paul sums it all up with this incredible picture of what it means to be a part of the church of God. And he has three metaphors, if you like. The first is, we are citizens of heaven. Look at verse 19. It says, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. So he's talking to Gentiles like most of us. And he's saying you are no longer excluded now with the saints. That's the Jewish Christians like Paul. Now together we are fellow citizens of God's kingdom. That's his first picture. Then he says, look at verse 19. We are members of God's household. That's one of the most common pictures of the church in the Bible. This idea that we are the family of God. That's why we call each other brother and sister in Christ. Now Paul just sort of throws those two ideas out there. At this point, he doesn't plumb their depths. He does that elsewhere. And you might want to think about what those two things mean for us in your gospel team during the week. But the picture he dwells on is the last one. And that is that together we are the temple of God. Now, you all know that the church is not a building, don't you? One person nodded at me. Others, please, give me some help here. (laughs) This church, what is it? What is special about this church? very little it's too cold in winter and too hot in summer no and we're fixing that praise God but this church is not holy this church is to keep us dry and theoretically warm that's that is its one purpose there is nothing special about this building because the church is not a building you know that the church is the people don't you the household of God but metaphorically Paul says the church is a building it's a bit confusing But it's a building not made of strange yellow coloured bricks. It is a church. The bricks are people of every colour, of every background. We are the buildings, we are the bricks that make up the temple of God. You see, we are the place where God dwells on earth. You will not find God by going to a temple in Jerusalem. And you will not find God by going to a cathedral in Rome or Canterbury or somewhere like that. In fact, you go to those places and you're less likely to find God there, I can tell you. No, you find God by coming to Jesus. And where do you find Jesus? He is present wherever his people are gathered. That is how precious this group of people is to God. That's how precious any group of people who gather in the name of Jesus is to God and that's his point there in verses 21 and 22 look there it says the whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit it's a wonderful picture isn't it he wants us to see just how wonderful it is to be a part of this to be a part of the household of God God is working to shape us and bring us together not just to be a club or a society with a common interest but to be his dwelling place that is how precious this thing the church the people of God is to him and what is our foundation what do we sit on top of look back at verse 20 it says built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone when he says the foundation is the apostles and the prophets uh, it doesn't mean them as people I wonder if this is where 
silly people over the last couple of thousand years have got the ideas of burying someone underneath their church and saying saint so-and-so is buried under us here or that sort of idea which just encourages nonsense and superstition when he says the apostles and prophets of the foundation what does he mean he means their message he means what they teach so what is the foundation of the church it's the scriptures when it says prophets there some people think that's talking about prophets in the new testament time people who brought revelations from god the word of god alongside the, the apostles i think it's talking about the old testament prophets so i think he's saying the foundation of the church is the full revelation of god old and new testaments but either way the point is it is the teaching of the word of god that is the foundation on which we are built and the cornerstone of that foundation is of course faith in Christ Jesus and that's why the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the word of God is the center of everything we do without that we're nothing if we meet together here and it's not based on the word of God we are irrelevant you may as well go home and watch survivor or something I'm not encouraging that (laughs) but it's that foundation as I close that makes us what I would call tolerantly intolerant that's what the church is meant to be tolerantly intolerant we will welcome anyone that's the tolerant part we will welcome anyone who wants to come and stand with us on that foundation and we will share the gospel with anyone and everyone anyone and we will welcome them in to stand on that foundation with us but we will not move off that foundation that's where we're intolerant I hope you see that see this passage calls us to reflect that wonderful unity of the gospel inclusion despite our differences but it's not a unity at all costs it's a unity based only on the foundation of the gospel and the word of God on Christ the solid rock we stand everything else is sinking sand let's pray Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our one sure foundation, the teaching of the apostles and prophets in the scriptures and the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would never move from that sure and certain foundation. But then, Father, we pray that ours might be a church that welcomes people from every background on earth, that we would never divide over things that are not necessary, but instead we would welcome people who our world would not welcome, We would welcome people who in our world we would be divided from. But because of our common faith in Christ, we will call one another brothers and sisters. And so we pray for our church that we might, even in our broken sinfulness, that we might reflect that wonderful truth of the people of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.